I usually use this space to talk about something related to journalism, but I'm going to change it up and say, yesterday we dropped our daughter Casey off at college for her freshman year, and now I find myself incredibly sad. It's not the vacant bedroom, though that definitely haunts me. It's not even her not being here, though that haunts me too. It's the passing of time. Yesterday, I swear it was yesterday, I drove my infant daughter home from the hospital. I probably averaged 25 miles per hour. She was in a blue car seat. We carried her inside the house. Her hands were tiny and pink. Her cheeks were chubby. She had little waves of blondest brown hair. She smelled new and limitless. I'd watch her sleep. I'd just stand there watching this infant with her teeny eyes closed and wonder, who will Casey Marta wind up being? And then I blinked and we left her at college. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Jonathan Brooke, the brilliant singer-songwriter whose music has gotten me through many stretches of time. And for this episode, she brought along her guitar, which is freaking awesome. This is episode number 226. Let's sling some yang. Jonathan, here's what I find interesting. You and I just, um, before I started recording, we just had this dialogue about sort of the world and the darkness and bleakness of the world. And um, I write, I'm a writer, you're a writer. Do you think this sort of comes, I hate being all self-indulgent about writers and Ooh, we're writers and blah, blah, blah. But do you think being in your head, being in front of a computer, being in front of a pen and paper, whatever it is, lends people like us to sort of losing our minds about this kind of shit more than the average person or no? Absolutely does. Yes. I think we're losing our minds more than the average person because we are sitting here in the stew, in our heads, in our, in our, whatever it is that sparks us every day, you know, whether you read the newspaper or Twitter, it's just not good. And yes, and I'm in it 24 seven and I, I have trouble getting out of it. And there are times when I think like, what do other people do? They're just living their lives. Are we just are, are we just making it worse for ourselves by paying attention and wanting to keep up and know what's happening with Chris Christie right now? Like, what the hell? Uh, and it, we are making ourselves more miserable at that. But then there's a sense of like, well, who else is going to keep track? You know, like someone has to keep track of this shit for history. So we better document it and sing it and whatever. But then I get so jealous of people that have just like lived their lives for the past couple of years and they've been fine. Their 401ks are fine. They've been, they've had jobs. They've, you know, nothing's really changed for them. And I'm like, you assholes. (laughs) I envy you, you assholes. Yes. Like I'm so envious of your complete oblivion and, and ignorance. And that sounds really terrible, but I feel like I'm jealous of people who sleep well. Wait, I'm going to tell you my equivalent of that is um, I don't I don't know where you are in this, but I'm a very agnostic, atheistic Jew. And when I hear people who are like, God's going to take care of me when I go to heaven, I'm always like, I'm always like, I envy you so much. Like, I envy that peace of mind so much. I do, too. Yeah, I'm so not into God. I just if if there's a God, he's a freaking bastard. I'll I'll just uh, I'll take science. That's not a bad song if there's a guy who's a freaking bastard. Well, I did. I started to write a song called God's a Bastard, and uh, my husband told me I should wait. <laughs> but I do feel like, yeah, 
the first line i mean if if you open with a with a line like that you can't you can't go wrong i mean you actually have lyrics to your song god's a bastard um i do and i can't remember it i'd have to look it up on on my computer but it's like god's a bastard after all god's a bastard after all i that's the sort of hook of each first i'm in i'm in sign me up we should co-write it totally i'm all in wait so first i want to say i uh I love, I haven't had that many songwriters on this podcast, but it is a writing podcast. And I think you're a, just a beautiful songwriter. And Thank um, you. I'm going to start with a weird place because I told you that I recently took my kids to a Kiss concert and you seem <laughs> actually enthused and energized by that. And um, there's a book, I like reading music books and there's this book, it's actually a great book, oddly. And it's Kiss's members breaking down all their songs to the most micro element you could find, right? And there's a quote by Gene Simmons, who I don't think anyone would, and I don't even think Gene Simmons would say, I'm a great songwriter, but he's written a lot of songs. He's written successful songs. And he was breaking down Kiss's last album. And he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I love the Rolling Stones, but I don't need to hear the Rolling Stones writing another album because it's just different. He was talking about himself and them. Like it's different when you're older and you're writing mm-hmm. music and you don't quite have the same level of anger, of optimism, of whatever you just kind of settled into your life and you drive your Maserati or whatever. And, you know, you, and he said, it's just, it's not the same. Like it's not the same for the Rolling Stones. It's not the same for me. And I wonder if you feel that way or see that way. Is it harder to get inspired as a songwriter in her age as, (laughs) you know, 25 and hungry? Well, yes. And which is what they say in theater. Yes. And so that they don't, no one gets hurt feelings. It's like getting, everyone gets a blue ribbon. Um, Yes. And, I think the stakes are higher because you've set a bar for yourself, or at least in, in, I'll talk about, I can only talk about myself and I don't know the complete works of Kiss. I, I am ignorant of Kiss a little bit. I do admire at this age, whatever age they are, you know, tromping around in the makeup and the platforms and the, you know, the whole getup. That's, that is physical genius. I mean, I, I just hats off to them, whatever is Pilates or Alexander technique, whatever it is that allows them to do that is, you know, hats off. Uh, when it comes to writing, I, I do feel it's harder and harder because I set the bar pretty high. And so it's harder for dumb songs to break through and make it to the table. Uh, so I I am writing a musical now. I'm writing two musicals now. So it's a little bit of a left turn. And the specs are, are different because the song must do this, this, and this. Character must be saying this. And you have to move the plot along. So it's not like I'm trying to write another Ten Cent Wings, which is you know one of my favorite records of mine. Uh, all this to say, I still need to write songs. I still and I still need them to be powerful and poetic and present. And I think that I can still do it. But I do say it, it gets harder and harder, and it's never been easy. So it's like wicked hard right now. <laughs> also, like, do people want to hear songs? Like, all right, there's nothing more uh, relatable to a twenty-something-year-old than a breakup song, right? And we all have these crazy breakups when we're 20 something years old and someone broke your heart or you're so-and-so cheated on you or blah, blah, blah. And now like, if I'm just looking at my life, 49, uh, my mortgage check is due. My, <laughs> my Prius, the freaking, you know, the odometer doesn't work. My daughter's leaving for college. That's making me very sad. You know, like, what are you supposed to write about? Yeah. Well, then, then the thing is, all right, do you get political? And in that case you get backlash from, you're, you're like, I, you, I'm your biggest, biggest fan forever, but I'm never going to buy another record because you spoke out against Trump. Like, really? Right. Oh, my God. Let's not even go there. Uh, 
there there's still there's still something to write about yes but i get that too because i am a victim of like i will always go back to that ricky lee jones record from you know when i was in college that just exploded my world and I'll always go back to that Pat Metheny record, you know, off ramp that w that exploded my head, and I just was in a puddle in the corner for days because because of that Lyle Mays song. Uh, so there is that thing. Like I do think it's harder and harder for things to break through. You do cement yourself to songs and and artists at that age. You're just that's where you are a sponge, and you're just bringing things in that will mark you for your life. Uh, I still have hope for for breakthrough cases. You know, yeah. um, Phoebe Bridgers actually was my breakthrough artist case recently. Like she's my Delta variant <laughs> that broke through my vaccine against new music. Uh, you know, so I, I think it can still happen. And I finally like my music is breaking through to some of the youngsters these days, and that that's really exciting. Or like it's a generational thing, like moms and daughters will come to shows and, and dads and sons, but a lot of moms and daughters will come to shows of like da daughters that were raised on the mom playing my music for their whole lives. And now the daughter's like, oh my God, like Peter Pan, that Peter Pan song, like that's everything to me. And like so much mine, it's like my, it's our song. So. What is more powerful in music? The power of nostalgia, meaning for me personally, I'm 13 years old. Whitney Houston's first album comes out, and I'm sitting there in my bedroom just listening. I would just sound so weird, but like, I loved Whitney Houston's first album as a 13 year old, and I fell in love with Whitney Houston. And I started thinking, all right, she's only 13 years older than me, so when she's 26, I'll be so and so. And she's, you know, and like we can get married. We can get married, me and Whitney Houston, and it didn't work out. But, um, is it is it more the power of nostalgia, or is it the power of a really good song? Like, what is it that you think really grabs people i do think that it's nostalgia more than anything because you can think back to like really dumb songs that that made an impression on you that you'll never forget but they're not brilliant pieces of work right but it's the time and what was happening at the time and the smell in the room and the colors of the of the sky and those things connect you forever to that you know, like turn the beat around that Vicky Sue Robinson song, like that will forever be in my brain. I know every single lick, but it's not because it's a genius song. It's because my dad built me a treehouse, and I used to go listen to the radio in my treehouse on this little plastic pink radio. And um, Dale Dorman used to play it on WRKO in Boston, and I'd be up in my treehouse, and Vicky Sue Robinson would come on, and I'd be like, that is the shit, man. So, uh, you know. Wait, do you ever have people who are like, Jonathan, you're my my favorite song of yours is Blank. I love that song. God, that song. And you're like, really? That one? <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> there's one song, there's one song, like, okay, note to the note to the wise, note to the writers, like, beware writing a funny song. Beware writing a spoof off the cuff song because it will torture you for the rest of your career. I wrote a song in my very first record called Dog Dreams. Which is 
you know, it's very funny, it's very clever, and it's based on a Gary Larson cartoon about dogs dreaming. And in the dream, they're stealing the car, they're running away, they leave a note on the kitchen table like, Dear Master, me and Rex took the car. <laughs> Stay. Stay. <laughs> and so I wrote this whole song about dog dreams, and it has kind of been the bane of my existence because, like, no matter where I go, no matter how many years I play, someone in the audience will yell out, Dog dreams! And I'll be like, no. Just, I, it's just, it's a, it's kind of a party trick, you know? Wait, this is my last reference to Kiss I'm going to make, but I'm fascinated by this. Um, we're sitting there at that concert and I'm thinking, there's no way these guys still like playing rock and roll all night. Like, there's no possible, they've played this 10,000 times in their lives. That's their song. I wanna rock and roll Derek. all night. <gasps> See, I didn't even know that was them. That's their song, right? And that's their okay. number one biggest hit. That and Beth. You know Beth. Beth, I, I hear well, you I calling. You would know it if you heard it. I okay. think. Anyway, here's my question. Do you get tired of playing the same songs over and over again? Songs you know the audience, you're almost required to play for an audience. Can you find new inspiration or is that bullshit? And really, you're just going through the motions of singing a song you've sung a million times. No, I really do find new things in the songs and they they keep giving back and it's weird, uh, but they, they really do. A song like So Much Mine, which is probably top five of the ones people love and the ones I'm proud of also, like that, I really, really love that song and I think it's a really good composition and I'm, I'm super stoked about that I got to be the one who wrote that song. Where'd you get that dress? And I still find new things in it. And I still find, I still get chills when I sing it. And I still find delight in how much it means to an audience. And, and especially to people who've ever had children. And I don't have kids of my own, but it's a, it's a really poignant mother-daughter kind of lament. And um, I still find new things in, in those songs that people want to hear. Thank goodness. See, that's amazing. Like I, I mean, people... James Taylor never complains about singing Fire and Rain. He's very gracious about it. But do you think in his head he's like, oh, fuck, Fire and Rain. Fuck this. Um... I, I doubt it. I think that uh, you have to you have to be gracious and you have to be freaking grateful because you're still singing Fire and Rain and so many people don't get to do that. <laughs> right. Um, it's funny because I had a book come out several years ago that I don't like very much. Really? Every, the book sucks. It's not very good. And I talked <laughs> about the book sucking and someone said to me, um, oh man, that's my favorite book years. And I actually felt like an asshole. I felt like that was unfair yeah. of me to shit on something I wrote that someone likes. Yeah, I think you can't do that. Because it, it's strange, like the thing that you th think the least of will will have changed someone's life in some way that you had you had no idea what it was on that day that, that meant the thing to them. I love the idea of diving into songwriting, right? Like diving, diving. And I asked you for a couple of song suggestions that you would enjoy talking about. And uh, you sent me a song, West Point. I'll play a little here. Where your perfect blonde cousin will throw his hat up in the air. Your first verse is, I'm, I'm retraveling this lifeline that's so close to home. We are on our way to West Point where your perfect blonde cousin will throw his hat up in the air 
and we will watch it fall. So tell me the story. Like, how did you actually write this song? I was driving to Annapolis. <laughs> I was on the way to a gig, and I had this memory of my first deep love. Uh, this was a college love, and this was early in my, I guess it was in, well, early 90s, driving to a gig, and I had this memory of going to his cousin's graduation, and I I got the memory all wrong, but West Point worked better in the song, but it was Annapolis. Okay. Um, anyway, so, but I do remember this, that that bittersweet thing of, of of the first love that then that then failed like we so we were madly in love freshman year of college we reunited senior year of college thinking maybe 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 and then I moved back to Boston and things fell apart and I married someone else so that's the long story short about West Point but I was having this really vivid memory as I'm driving to a gig and I'm I'm speaking it to myself in the car as I'm driving and I'm I'm rhythmically sort of pounding it out because I can't really I don't this is before I had voice memo or anything any way to remember shit that I was writing so it was like I'm traveling this lifeline that's so close to home we're on our way to da 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 so I, that was my sort of cadence and I just kept repeating stuff that fit into the rhythm of that thing and I'm driving I'm driving and finally get to the radio show and I'm like do you have a pen do you have a pen so I wrote it all down uh, but I also had just, I had just fallen in love with this poet, Sharon Olds, and she'd written a poem called I Go Back to May 1957, where she talks about being this omniscient person watching her parents graduate from college and watching their perfect, beautiful bodies. And I, so I kind of stole that idea of this person and the perfect blonde cousin, the, the way she phrased it, the perf their perfect, beautiful bodies and they're, they're young and they're whatever. Anyway, that's a digression, but stole this idea of perfect blonde cousin. Something about that was sort of inspired by Sharon Olds and I like to give cred. Uh, and I thought, oh my God, they throw their hats in the air. And that's just like hopes rising and falling, which we get to in the second verse. Um, anyway, I. All, that's a big jumble of like, I think I remember how I wrote this song. I think I know what it's about. It's about that first love and that memory and wanting to enter this first line with something really uh, vivid, a detail that, that a, a listener can grab onto. And I think that's important about any kind of writing. You want detail, you want motion, you want activity. With a book, I think it's very important to grab the reader early because you don't want the guy leaving two pages in, you know? Right. Is song exact same thing? Absolutely. First line is killer. My brother just sent me this article about writer's block. And he's like, I remember the first time I got it. I remember the first time like I figured out writing. And I and it was this line that came to me and it was dynamite was my first love. And I'm like, dude, that's like just like songwriting. Yeah. Dynamite was my first love. Like, don't you want to know? Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So it's about him as a kid, like making potions and blowing shit up in the yard. Um, but it was a great reminder. My brother's a writer. My dad was a writer. My mom was a poet. You know, everyone's like writerly in my family. So it's all about like great language, great details and grabbing the listener right away. So I have an another song, you know, the first line is put the gun down. You don't even have an intro to the song. It's like, put the gun down. And th that's the first line you hear. And you're like, what? What just happened? What you, what's going on? Um, so that's soup. I think that's really important to grab. Wait, what makes you think like put the gun down is going to be the first line of the song? Like what? 
how does that even like process in your head? This is how I need to start this song. And then if you have a really good first line, you have this great band. I just killed that first line. Those first five words are killer. Um, <laughs> then you gotta I figure put, out what you're gonna say. <laughs> you ever sit for the next five hours trying to figure out what's line number two? Yes, absolutely. All the time. And then I'll just be like, ah, shit. I just, I don't have it today. And that, that song did take a long time to write. I, Cause I didn't want it to be like, NRA sucks, man. Like we need gun control. Like, blah, blah. you know, that's just not my bag. So it needed to be a story. It needed, I needed to tell a smaller story inside the, you know, obviously the larger issue. And so it became a very personal, like put the gun down. And then I find, you know, after five hours, I'm like, oh, this is about just a conversation with one person. Put the gun down, come talk to me. Interesting. And then, you know, you got a lot of nerve bitching about your freedom. I tend to think 98% of what I write sucks. I'm very self-loathing. Are you not that oh, way? God. I'm so that way. I, I'm, I'm, I am your most self-loathing comrade. It's brutal in my brain. You too? Oh, wait, I read a quote from you. It was, this is from a, uh, an article in the Star Tribune, Minneapolis Star Tribune, 2019. <laughs> and you said, it's actually really good. I feel like it's a total loser. A failure every time I go into the creative mood. That inner voice just beats you up. I'm my own worst critic. Yep, that's no lie. How do you explain that? I don't know, and it's not very productive. It's not rational because I I can tell you honestly that I'm very proud of some of the stuff that I've done. I'm I know that I'm good at what I do. I obviously have a career. I've made 14 records now. I love all of them, and yet every time. It is this brutal pacing the cage, facing the page. It's it's that's a Bruce Coburn song called "Pacing the Cage," which is a genius song. Uh, it's I don't know, and and there's part of me that's like, well, I wouldn't trust you if you weren't as self loathing as me. Like, <laughs> you know, then you can't be any good. <laughs> well, what do you? I'm actually being serious. All right, wait, I because don't you think like people that think they're the shit are the worst? Are not the shit? No, it drives me crazy. Whenever anyone says. I saw some writer who I won't name the other day tweet something like, I just wrote something that fucking kicks ass and blah, blah. And I'm like, really? Because I yeah. never feel that way, ever. Yeah. And and you say that and I lose all respect for you. Right. Even if you think it, you shouldn't say it. I just want to say Never it. say it. <laughs> well, you, yeah, put the gun down, I thought was really, really good, but I wasn't going to say it until I made the song be good. Well, what, all right, so I'm actually really interested in this. Like, you're trying to write a song something's not working or something's not clicking. You think it sucks. Like what is actually going on in your head? Are you distracted by a million different things? Are you just lathering yourself in self-doubt? Like why is it not working generally when it's not working? Mm. I think it's generally the I suck knob is overruling the creative maybe knob. And that's, I would say, 60% of the time, <laughs> you know, like, and then there's, if you're lucky, you just sort of keep your head in the game and you, you try something else and then you come back to the thing that is, that you're sucking at. So like, I'll go do laundry and, or clean something. And suddenly the thing that sucked or that just was not giving way, like the next line to put the gun down 
will happen because I'm not paying attention and I'm not beating myself up about it. I'm I'm doing there's water involved and I'm washing something. So I'm doing something good for my world. The, the house is getting cleaned or like there is laundry in the wash and oh, the second line come talk to me. Which you could literally be pouring tide into the laundry machine yes. and a line will come to you and you'll be like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then I have to run back. I'm like, "Yay! I win today. I get I got one more line." That's amazing. Well, how often do you write a song in a day, a full song? One day, I just wrote the song. Hour. Nailed it. Done. Oh, God. If I'm lucky, maybe once a year. It's it's a painless, flowy process. How about you? I mean, so I have a book due in, uh, in another month. <laughs> Wait, and, didn't you just have one come out? The circus? Yeah, movie? well, last year. But I, I won it one every two years. And um, That's what, wait, says who? Me, brother's got to eat, man. You know. Yeah. Um, but I work hard. On, I mean, I like. Yeah. I'm Do you have a rule like you get in there every day for five hours, like whether you get anywhere or not? The rule is uh, when I'm writing is a thousand words a day. Oh, Try to write a thousand words a day. It's obviously a lot different than writing a song. You know, it's a different apples and oranges. Yeah, but the discipline's the same, and I'm terrible at it. Are you? Are you? Do you feel like um, has the access to everything made it harder to be a focused writer? Absolutely. I actually want the internet to die. Me too. I want it to die. I want to go back to writing letters and making phone calls. I want to read books all day long and then write some songs and then go on tour and have no internet. But then you wouldn't be able to Google Gary Coleman. I don't give a shit. I would, I would figure out another way to be creative and productive. But I think, I think it has, I think it's ruined us all. I really, I do. I this long is, for Luddism. Luddites. <laughs> Wait, this is a conversation I have with my daughter recently where, all right, internet, good side, bright side, blacks who are being harassed by police are finally they're, what they're get, happening to them is being seen. Negative sure. side, almost everything else. Almost everything else, yep. Good side, uh, not having asked directions for gigs anymore. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Being able to get to a gig without bugging someone for directions. Yeah, that's pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Dark side, everything else. Everything else. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Everything else. Okay, yes. Finally, white people are seeing. <laughs> that's a big positive. That's a big yeah, positive. that's a huge. That's You're right. That's like probably one of the biggest, biggest, best things. And then the rest just could go to hell. Ugh. Wait, that's so, I love this. I've never talked about this with anyone, so I'm in. Um I feel like my impulse to check my phone, to see what's going on on Twitter, to blah, 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 blah. Oh, what's going on? WashingtonPost.com, NewYorkTimes.com, blah, blah, blah.com. Yep. It breaks up the flow that I used to have. Yep. And I hate it. I hate it. And then have you been able to stop? I have not. <laughs> I, I put a blocker on my computer. I bought a web really? blocker that you can time it for like two hours. So you can't check anything for two hours. And uh, that's what I've been doing. I think I am going to get that. Wait, I have your song in front of me. Uh, we but, were on our way to West Point. So I just turned, I switched songs on you. Oh, okay. You had okay. me with Put the Gun Down. Put the gun down. And come talk to me. You got a lot of nerve. Bitching about your freedom. Put the gun down and come talk to me. You got a lot of nerve bitching about your freedom. You say you had a rough, everyone, everyone, everybody got their cross. 
So you bear it up, seek your profits, tally your loss, and then you carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on. Nobody done you wrong, so you can carry on and you put the gun down. Was your daddy mean? Mama couldn't be saved. No one keeping you clean? Is it just attention that you crave? Put the gun down, nobody has to lose. You got no way out except forgiveness, so you'd better choose. Um, do people want to hear songs like that? I'm actually being sincere. Do people, I think it's important to write them. I think yeah. it's important to speak our mind, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to a Jonathan Brooks show. I'm pretty psyched. They're selling beer. I got my beer. My girlfriend's with me, blah, blah, blah. This is great. I love my, I have a gun. I, own, I don't own a gun, but I'm saying I'm your audience guy in Minnesota. I own a gun, <clears> blah, blah, blah. And now the first song this fucking singer singing me is some lecture about guns. Do you have to be aware of that? Or are you just like, fuck it. This is what I do. This is my career. Fuck it. This is what I do. You're going to listen to this song because it's not necessarily about me taking your gun away. So fuck off and listen. It's about uh, addiction and it's about, uh, you know, personal conversation. And it's uh, it's about, you know, listening to one another. And so it's important that I sing it. And most people dig it. And they dig that it's um, also it's in a voice. I, I'm in a, I'm a character in that song. It's not me, Jonathan Brooke. I'm a character with a different vernacular. Right. You know, I don't talk that way. <laughs> got a lot of nerve, bitch, about your freedom. Right. So you had it rough. Everybody got their share. So you bear it up. Seek your profits. Can't tell your loss. Was your daddy mean? <laughs> yeah. Is that the voice in your head? Oh yeah. Something? Was your daddy mean? Mama couldn't be saved. Uh, no one keeping you clean or is it just attention that you crave? Put the gun down. <laughs> uh, nobody has to lose. Uh, you got no way out except forgiveness, so you better choose. <laughs> when you're writing this song, you are not picturing it as you giving, you personally giving sort of a lecture or a dissertation on the subject. You view it as a character giving a... No, this was a definite character song. And how long did it take to write? Oh God, it was endless. I had the I had the first verse forever. And then I just couldn't find the chorus. It needed to be a simpler, more anthemic chorus. And I just couldn't find it. And and so like two years after I had the verse, I found the carry on, carry on, carry on part. There's no way I could be like, oh, I started this thing two years ago. And here, oh, oh you're breaking out a guitar. I'm so happy. Yeah. All right, okay. tell me how this works. Okay, hold on, Wait, where's my thingy? So. This is what I was so proud of because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to grab their attention right away because you don't, there's no intro, there's no whatever, there's no instrumental. It's just like, put the gun down and come talk to me. Everybody got their cross. Thanks. As I am buried up, you seek your prophet. You tell me you know us. So I had that for like a year and a half. Okay. So I'm like, where does it go from here? We've got this tense. It's like basically a five chord. It needs to go somewhere. It needs to go to the one or the whatever. But I didn't know. I had a bunch of dumb shit, like, uh, I don't even remember. It was like, bad version, like, don't do it, don't do it, you do better than this, don't do it, you know, like, ah, shoot yourself, go do laundry. Finally, 
That's a long laundry session if they took you a year and a half. Oh That's my God. a lot of laundry. Yeah. Finally, I, I, I recycled something from something else that didn't work. So it was basically changing the cadence a little bit, which always makes me happy as a musician because I, anyway, because I, I crave like complicatedness. I, and for better, for worse, that's kind of what I do. So you better choose. Finally, you know, what if it's as simple as like carry on, get over yourself, carry on. You're like, nobody done you wrong. You don't, ha you know, you have this false narrative that you're the victim here. So, you know, get your shit together, carry on. Nobody done you wrong, carry on, put the gun down. So like, okay, that's that's my concept. I That's what I want to say. So how do I make it simple, but make it musically satisfying to myself? Mm. Seek your profits, tell your loss. No, 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 no. Seek your profits, tell your loss. Okay, then we're just gonna carry on, carry on, carry on. <laughs> Put the gun, fifth fret, down. The other weird thing about this song is that, okay, then I finally had a chorus, which led to the, you know, the next verses and stuff. But then I was like, oh, God, I want a bridge. And the bridge came really quickly, but then I doubted it. I thought, like, this is way too dumb. Like, I'm, I think I'm going to. I, I can't I just that's too dumb I was like started like naming days of the week and like you can do this and get through it and like a 12 step thing you know well it's a, a Tuesday you can make it to Wednesday Thursday I might feel the sun Friday knows nothing about Saturday Sunday don't need no gun don't aim don't swing so I had that bridge and I'm like it's too dumb it's wicked dumb it's so dumb why do you think it was dumb? Just, I don't know I just thought oh you're copping out you're just naming days of the week you're just you're phoning it in like you're listing shit it's a you know don't do me we didn't start the fire it's Monday it's Tuesday it's you know civil war blah blah uh I sent it to my guitar player Sean he's like no no no, no keep it it's good I like the thing about the sun like Thursday, you might see see the sun. I do too. So I'm like, all right, um, thanks, John. I guess I'm gonna shove it in there and let's see how it goes. And so that's the bridge. <laughs> and I just realized something. You and I both share a real. This is a pathetic. I think this is a writer thing, definitely, and it's pathetic. Where it's like, this sucks. This sucks. Someone says, oh, I really like it, and you're like, oh, yes, it's <laughs> I'm good. So genius, yeah. <laughs> Well, don't you have that thing where you, you like you'll read something, you know, I'll hear a hit song. and I'll be like, who fucking wrote that? Because that is bullshit. Yeah. That's a song I would have thrown out 10 times before I would have ever finished it. And and then I'm like, why do I do that? Why don't I finish those stupid songs that then could, you know, pay off my mortgage? Yep. <laughs> Wait, actually, same thing? well, yeah, of course. I, I was actually <laughs> thinking because last night. My daughter, who's the age appropriate, and I, who am not, we watched the VMAs on MTV, right? Oh my God. And I was I thinking, did not. Well, I was thinking someone like you. So there, all right, there's a new singer, Olivia Rodrigo, who's actually very, have you even heard of her? 
Yes, I know that song about the driving lesson or the dri- right. the license. It's so good. It's good, right? Yeah, really good. Really good storytelling. So when you see an 18-year-old singer coming up and writing like that, are you, all right, is there any part of you that's like, I'm not saying jealous is fair, but like, were you like, uh, or are you like, oh, this is great. I'm a, I'm a songwriter. She's a songwriter. Let's just celebrate songwriting. I am mostly psyched, especially, you know, for a girl, for a young girl to be that articulate and for that, for her to like be able to sing live and freaking nail it the way she does. And I'm so psyched for her, her writing, you know, I, and so for that, I'm like, hands down, I, I'm psyched for her and I, I will you know, I could probably be her like, well, I could certainly be her mom, yeah. <laughs> but for, for someone that talented, I'm like, you go girl, freaking take it because she's, she's that good. And Phoebe Bridgers too. I'm like, fucking genius. Love it. You know, oh. there are other people that I'm like, don't quite get it. All right. Whatever. Right. Wish I had all that money coming in. Wait, there was a moment last night where the rapper Lil Nas X, who's probably about 23, was presented an award by David Lee Roth. And I said to my daughter, I'm like, no way he knows who that is. No way he knows who David Lee Roth is. Or vice versa, right? Or vice versa. No way. David Lee Roth is what? He's 66. I looked it up. What's he doing these days? I don't know, because Eddie Van Halen died. So I don't really know what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, God. Van Halen was such a sweetheart. Lil Nas X, is is he the one who wrote the cowboy song? Yeah. He's good. Oh, that's great. And he's like... Openly, openly flamboyantly gay. Openly gay, which is awesome, especially for that community. Yes. Yeah. yeah Love it. Good. Wait, I have but, a question. Yeah, David Lee Roth. <laughs> that was, that was a a career. I want to go look at that picture. You guys had a good career. Well, also like Tommy Lee from Motley Crue was presenting an award. And I was like, there's no way anyone here knows who Tommy Lee is. Oh, my God. No well, unless they've been on the internets, you know, watching for porn, right? Wasn't he the one? Wasn't he one of those first like sex videos that got out there? Or was that someone else with Pamela Sue? No, I think it was, well, he ended up marrying her. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. Wait. And the other thing is Madonna opened the show. Oh God. She was wearing like all this leather short thing. And she turned around and it was basically her ass. And I said to my daughter, which is actually true. Nobody's shocked by this stuff anymore. The most shocking thing is nobody wants to see a 64 year old woman's ass walking across the States. Like, you know what I mean? Like the old, the shock value of stuff is gone. Like it's gone. Gone. It's so gone. Yeah. Like there's so much ass slinging in faces. It's like what would be radical now is like a, a black turtleneck. Yeah, exactly. Where, that's where I'm going. With an I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the hottest fucking thing in a black turtleneck. Check me out. Do it. You can't see my tits or my ass. You got to use your imagination. And you're going to love it. <laughs> They're going to be calling you for the VMAs next year. <laughs> Before we continue with two riders singing Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my son, Emmett. And you seem really sad about Casey leaving for college this week. Dad? Yeah, I mean, she's your big sister. Bruh, I've been waiting to climb this ladder for far too long. I'm finally first string on the Royal Retro's ad totem pole. At long last, I can be the one telling people to visit royalretros.com for all their throwback needs. It's the e-dog's time to shine. Play a pimp. I'm not sure how to tell you this, play a pimp. We just signed an exclusive five-year, $25 million deal with the family coach to be the new voice of Royal Retros. Yeah, sucker. But I just got my SAG card. Wait, all right, I have a question for you. I told you, I wanted you to, uh, I wanted to talk about writing a song, okay? okay? I've never done this. I've thought about doing this a long time. I told my wife this idea this morning. She's like, eh, but okay. <laughs> I had something happen in my life. I always thought it would be a good song, okay? okay. I'm gonna throw this at you. Just, I'm gonna throw okay. this. Let me get my notebook. Okay, I'm being serious okay. about this. Okay. Yep. 
years ago, I went to a funeral of, um, of a loved one. Okay. And someone showed up who had recently sort of divorced out of the family and everyone in that family hated this person, but she came to the funeral out of the funeral people's family or your family. I was part of the funeral people's family. Okay, so got it. you have this family and then so one person shows up and she's not really wanted at this funeral and she shows up wearing all white. <gasps> funeral. And I had this idea of a song. You wore white to a funeral, right? Because like she walks in and she kind of peacocks in and everyone's like, why the fuck is this woman wearing white? I'm like, why is she in here? But why is she wearing white? Wow. I wrote a really bad song that doesn't make any sense. What do you do with that kind of material? Wow. It's you. You're you. What do you it's do? It's me and I'm trying to write the song. I do a free write about the character and I, I write every detail I can about her attitude, how she speaks. I, I write in her voice. I try to write in her voice like you all motherfuckers. Like, you know, you have no idea how much he, he loved me the most or, you know, so I, I make up a story about like her relationship to the dead person of like um, entitlement and like, because who does that? Yeah. <laughs> um, is it important to make up? So you like, yes. I, well, for me, I make shit up. Yes. You need a backstory for this person you're saying. Yeah. And like, even just my saying like, who does that? I would go down that rabbit hole of like, is that part of a hook? Like who does that? Who does that? You know? And I love that you used peacock as a verb. Yeah. And that I would, so I'd be like, oh my God, I'm stealing that peacock idea. And, or is it like, do you, is, and is your opening line like, who wears white to a funeral? Yeah, that's pretty good. No. Like, who do you think you are? Um, and then, of course, you think, okay, what are the other obvious things in that list of things like funeral, wedding, uh, christening, birth, quinchera, whatever that thing is? Um, like, so, so what are the, the other faux pas? You know, like <laughs> my, um, my husband's ex wore white to his son's wedding. Is that true? I thought was like, what? Wait, is that true? Is that really yes. Yeah, so that made me think of that too. Like who wears white to their son's wedding? Like Jesus, let the bride have her fucking day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so like all the things. Uh, yeah, I, so I would just do, I would start free writing and then I would sort of grab like the, the, the juicy bits out of the free write at, and see if they fall together in some kind of cadence and, and figure out like what, what the tempo would be. I would go walk around the neighborhood with my tidbits and like chant them to myself and sort of figure out, okay, is this a waltz? Is it a four, four? Is it a, like, I never thought of this before when you're writing a song and you have a character, like whatever you have the character in your gun song, like whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you actually build up a full character almost like writing a piece of fiction about a character, like a novelist would write a, like, do you, do you do that? Do you go the entire length to think about what this guy looks like, what he wears, what he shot, where he shops, blah, 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 blah. And then make the song almost around that caricature. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, often it's me, you know, so those songs, I kind of know who, <laughs> know who's talking, but uh, yes, on the, on a song like this, I would totally flesh out the character. And when you write, like you wrote the song, uh, when you were at West Point, do these songs have to be, do they have to be true? When you write a story about this guy you loved and West Point and blah, 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 can you make up a ton of shit about him and be comfortable with that as a songwriter? Yes, absolutely. Make shit up, make it better, embellish. Like I wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a song called Red Dress about my first marriage and then, then the, the end of my first marriage. Now it 
Verse. Oh my god, it's brutal. So, uh, first verse is I'll wear the red dress tonight. You could, uh, I'll wear the red dress tonight. You will wheel your heart in tight. You can have the upper hand, and I'll pretend to understand why it came to this. Uh, why it came, how it came from there to here, how we muddied what seemed clear. Were we just doomed from the start, undermined by simple hearts? Why to come to this? Uh, so, like this, the second verse is. Well, there's days when the light hits true, days of him, days of you, nights of sweating, toss and turn, nights I feel your cigarette burn. And I'm like, whoa, wait, can I say that? Because, like, it was never that bad. You know, like, I never got burned by a cigarette. That wouldn't, like, that, that's seri- some serious shit. Um, right. But I put it in there anyway. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like writer's, writer's liberty. But does your ex-husband hear the song and he's like, look, I know we didn't have the best marriage, but are you fucking kidding me? I didn't even smoke, you know, like, is that? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't anywhere say in the song, it's really about me. Right. So it's just called Red Dress. It's like, you, wait, all right. So I, I love jumping around here. Okay. I literally have It was clear- inspired by it, but it's like inspired by a true story, but like completely embellished. <laughs> we were like, well, we all get what we deserve. I get him and you get her. Given the chance, I still defer, and maybe we're always wondering why it came to this, right? It's almost, it's definitely like a go fuck yourself kind of song. I'm being serious about this. When you write these kind of songs, do you think about him hearing the song? And is that in a way the goal? <laughs> you want the guy to hear the song. You're like, hey, go fuck yourself. Here's a song I wrote about you. I don't care if you didn't smoke. The weird thing about uh, a lot of musicians is that, like, musician musicians. Oh they don't necessarily listen to the words. <laughs> what do you mean? So, like for instance, okay, we had we had split long before that record came out and the and we weren't really, we were kind of estranged, so it wasn't like I was gonna call him and ask him what he thought, but he did let me know that he thought it was a great record and he didn't have any beef about any of the lyrics. So I think that he understands that, you know, writers will do what writers do. Goffrey, my guitar player for many years, right around the time of that record, Steady Pull, we'd been touring together for, I don't know, seven, eight years. (laughs) Like after 500 times of playing that song, So Much Mine, you know, he was starting to have kids himself. And so he he was starting to recognize like, oh, that's what that's about. (laughs) How funny, he had no idea. Like he never really listened to the words. It was all about like his part and, you know, the dynamic of the tune and making it like really fun and exciting and his solo and whatever. But it was like, he'd never actually listened to the song for for the words. So a lot of people just don't even listen to the words or they get them wrong. So they might, you know, it might be about them, but they they thought it was about like, I don't know, uh, conservation. The reason you came into my musical life, so I, I knew about you for years and blah, blah, blah. And I was just telling my wife this years ago, we were away with friends and this guy's playing music on shuffle. And it's your remake of Eye in the Sky by the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, cool. Don't think sorry's easily said. Don't try. It's still my favorite remake ever done of any song, I swear to God. Um, Oh, that's cool, thanks. Because I hate that song. And I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the original. I hate the production. The original is terrible. It's like I like the song. I hate the production. All right, so like, I am kind of fascinated, even though this is a writing podcast. Like, there's this song 
neither of us like it. Probably a lot of people are like, oh, it's like I used to work in CVS. It's kind of something that comes on at CVS, you know, like that's all the time. Yeah. And I'm waiting for a star to fall. My boy meets girl are the two quintessential CVS songs. And you have this song. You don't even like it. So why do you do a remake of it? Well, here's the thing. I mean, and and I want to give props to Alan Parsons because he's a he's a lovely guy. Um, And it's his song. It's a it's a, it is a really cool song. It's a beautifully crafted song. Mm. So I have more problem with the robotic production and the crazy way that the, that it doesn't quite match to me what what the song ended up meaning. Like it's kind of a it's kind of a creepy song, but it's it's powerful and it's I don't know. I just want, I stripped I stripped it down to like wait where's the song here and this might be a really cool cover because if you're gonna do a cover song you better just completely go left and make it nothing like the original or why are you doing a freaking cover song like just yeah. quit it so that's where i found the joy in it and fell in love with the song was stripping it down to like chords and lyrics did alan parsons ever say like what the fuck do you do to my song or is he like no i think he really loved it yeah yeah i think he really loved it i found a 1999 review of Uh-oh. jonathan brook live right the park city daily news in bowling green kentucky Kentucky, I didn't even play that. I played there twice maybe in my whole career. I think it was just an album review. And they said, um, although she's guilty of many of the female singer-songwriter stereotypes, particularly the much too fragile martyr complex. What? Brooke executes well delivering blah, blah, blah songs. So overall pause. I was wondering like. um, What's a martyr complex? I don't really know. I don't even know what that is. All too, wait, was it a dude or a chick? I actually don't know. I think it was a guy though. My wife All too familiar martyr complex? Well, it was written in the 90s. And don't you think there was a run where men were like, I don't need to hear another Lisa Loeb, Jonathan Brooke, blah, 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 blah. You know, like mopey guitar woman. Like there was that thing for a while. It was like a backlash over really good music. Totally. I mean, it's it's still there. There's still this sense that I mean, we ran into it at radio all the time. Like you could pay like 50 whiny boy bands in a row like that. Like they are the worst whiners. If you ask me, like what about um, Counting Crows, that whiny fucking voice or like R.E.M., that whiny fucking voice, like shut up about your religion. Um, I love that song. Don't get me wrong. But the, the fact that that every, you know, even women would be like, ooh, too many women in a row, that's redundant. And ooh, women are like, they're so sensitive. Oh God, like, it's just so sexist and gross and it still exists and so fuck off. Just shut up. You might've just answered this question, but I was gonna ask like, how do you, through your career, how do you handle when people are like, you know, Jonathan Brooks' new album, Two Stars, or this song, blah, 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 or you go to, you see somewhere where someone's shitting on your work. Are you able to just be like, eh, or does it sting a little? Luckily, there have been very few stings, uh, but it does sting. Yeah, it it really does sting. And and I'm that person. I, I imagine you're this way, too, because you have that whole self-loathing thing where it stings and then you think about it a lot and then it gets in your way and then you never forget the sting <laughs> and you're like damn it like this is really getting in my way i need maybe i need therapy or something get rid i need to exercise this thing from my brain because it's just one freaking person when i'm teaching songwriting and i'm sort of giving song critiques i'm incredibly careful with people because i i know especially if it's an idea that's not fully fleshed that 
you can trash someone and not know the effect that you've had and that it's just not okay because it's just you're just one opinion so i always start with like i am one opinion here and here's what i love about your song um here's a couple ways i think it could it could be better i'm a uh, student newspaper advisor out here and i'm always like first of all i just want to say i love blank (laughs) that first word (laughs) it could be could be i love your punctuation (laughs) punctuation is spot on you know you know And the illustrations are so good. Great. Font is perfect. You nailed it. A time for a minute. Are there people who just shouldn't be songwriters? Serious question. Are there people you come across and you're thinking in your head, being a CPA would be wonderful for you? <laughs> Look, there are some people that, that just want to come hang out and be in the room and create stuff and they don't have illusions about you know, going out there and, and, and touring and making records and having a whole career of it. And those are sometimes the most creative types. And they're, they're the funnest to work with because, you know, they, they're not desperate for this thing that will probably elude them. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are plenty of people out there that should just like go back to CPA school. And that's the other thing about the internet. It's, it's not the great leveler. It's the great fucking dump. How do you it's mean? A, it's a dump. It's there's so much. Everyone and their little sister wants to, you know, not even make great music. They just want to be celebrities. So it's not even about being a good songwriter. They they just want to sort of get clicks and views and whatever's on all of the platforms. So there's a hundred million shitty songs out there, and it's just getting harder and harder to weed through to the to the really good ones. And, and that's the other thing I'm mad about at the internet about because for all we hate the major labels for all the evils they've done over the over the years they are good at sort of finding some great talent you know right. and nurturing it or they used to nurture it now it's like you don't have a million views on your first thing and you don't already have an instagram and social media huge following then you don't even get arrested but all this to say, there's just too much stuff out there. Everyone should should really think hard and go back to CPA school if they can, because you do need a plan B. It is interesting because um, your backstory is a lot of like her battle with her label. She started her own label, blah, 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 blah. I found an interview with you where it was like, what do you think of Napster? What do you think of the Internet? Blah, blah. And if you were the truth of the matter is if you were coming along now, right, you'd have a TikTok account like that'd be your number one platform would be TikTok. And yeah. no one would be like, what's her label? Wouldn't even be a. I mean, a thing. Right. And it wouldn't be about the song. It would be about your followers. Yes. How does that? Wait, what? I know that makes me seem old and like cranky, but I'm old and cranky. It's confusing. And I'm a really good dancer. So I am. I should get into TikTok. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> I had an account for three days. It was the best three days of my life. I, I did one TikTok. You did? I was at the, I was at the dentist and... So I had like time to kill because they were a cr- they were making the crown while I waited, and the assistant was wicked into TikTok. So she was showing me some some stuff on her TikTok, and she's like, "You should you know you should do this too, aren't you a musician?" So I'm like, "Yeah, show me." So we made a TikTok in the dentist chair, and that's the only one I've ever done. Millions it's, of people now. It's genius. It's millions <laughs> of people now after hearing this podcast will be turning TikTok pages. <laughs> so my so one TikTok. So you're getting your molar removed. They're all very excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to ask you one more question. I always ask this of journalists. So I ask it as of a singer songwriter because journalism has gotten really hard. And I always say, is it worth getting into journalism? I ask journalists, like if you were talking to an 18 year old, is it worth getting into journalism? So 
you're talking to an 18 year old aspiring singer, right? Songwriter. Um, is it still a career worth pursuing? Yes, obviously. And, and there are people for whom it's preordained. They just, it's going to be their thing. And that's exciting to see like someone like Olivia Rodrigo or, you know, Phoebe Bridgers. There's just a, there's a thing that's so special about them that, that it's, it's going to happen. And I think the, the real caveat is you gotta, you gotta be really clear about the, the bar like what what's going to be enough for you are you going to kill yourself if you don't if you're not the next phoebe bridges or madonna or whatever what's a level of success that number one can sustain you that you can live on financially and number two will make you know that little sort of self-critic belly success person happy and i think that if you can't especially now that there there's no income from record sales there's really until you're Taylor Swift, there's no income from streaming. It's bullshit. You know, a million streams will net you, I can tell you, a million streams will net you like $4.87. So there's no equivalent to what we used to do in selling CDs. So if you can't tour and tour in a way that allows you to bring money home, you're gonna have a really tough time. If you go viral, God bless you, on the TikTok or the whatever, then like, hats off you know you win you win the lottery other than that if if you don't have a a killer live performance i don't know how you're gonna make a living wait i just realized i have one more question because i (laughs) know i always ask every journalist what's the worst confrontation you've had with the subject i want to ask you what's the worst gig you've ever played as far as like crowd or like you walk into an empty room or what's your (laughs) your nightmare i was opening for joe cocker in i think it was like groningen Holland, Groningen, the Netherlands. And I I had had this really great run of, of tour dates with him all over Austria and Germany. And here, and then we were in Holland and I would do this 30, you know, I 30, me and my like little girl and her guitar, 30 minutes. And then it's Joe Cocker, like I put a spell on you. Anyway, I'm out there and the, they can drink. They can drink a lot, like the Dutch, outdrink the Danish, they outdrink the British, they certainly outdrink the Americans, but there were a bunch of drunk, tall Dutch dudes in the front and they were pissed that I was not Joe Cocker and they actually threw beer at me. <laughs> wow. How do you deal with that? As that a was the worst. Well, I make a joke and I keep singing and I then I went into Eye in the Sky because I'm like, all right, they're gonna know this song. I'm gonna I'm gonna win these fuckers over. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna win this contest. One word, Parsons. <laughs> Parsons, right? So I go into Eye in the Sky, and then like I can I can see like I get to the chorus, and the like Eye in the Sky, looking at you, and I can see like not the dudes in front; they were still pissed, but like I could see like this calm coming over the middle of the angry. Dutch and they were like wait a minute I know this song wait I know this song I know this song oh wait wait I love this song wait did she write this song what and then they listened and and so that was my sort of revenge on the beer throwing Dutch but that was the that was the worst Um, but that song I have to say was a real discovery in terms of you know being the unknown being the opening act in hostile territory where like how do you win them over you 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 have to bring them something familiar that they can then sort of attach and then i have two super fans that were at that gig 
in Groningen who are forever like they will they like will be buddies forever because they helped me survive that gig they came afterwards and they apologized for their <laughs> their their uh colleagues and they they didn't know them but they were like they were so embarrassed for for that crowd and I still know these guys I just want to say to come full circle in this interview I think if you would have got on that stage wearing kiss makeup they would have loved you oh my god what a great idea I mean I thought I was gonna win I was wearing like a turquoise sequin tube top and pink pants but nope kiss makeup kiss makeup I'm here for you <laughs> have any other questions I'm here for my you. new stylist <laughs> <laughs> why well, uh, listen huge uh, huge admirer of your career and your your songwriting is freaking insanely good i think if you work hard you're the next olivia rodrigo and i think uh, i can't wait i'm gonna i'm I'm really gonna i need to conquer tiktok next you're right maybe next time you go to like the gynecologist or the uh maybe like a library or something you know like try to play off of the dentist and go to different you know interesting market do do a theme thing that then becomes viral because i started it exactly exactly Uh singers do really boring things Oh my God, like in stirrups at the gynecologist, that would be a really good one. <laughs> you just keep on your face. You're like, not gonna see what's happening now, but this is- Oh my God. I appreciate you doing this. I'm uh, seriously, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was such a pleasure. And, and um, boy, next time we should talk about you. Not as interesting. I want to thank today's guest, Jonathan Brooke, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Jonathan on Twitter at Jonathan Brooke and visit her website, jonathanbrook.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please consider going to the vehicle of your choice and leaving a nice review. I make zero dollars for doing this, and I depend on word of mouth. Music is by the great MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.